you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of John. Just by way of summary here, we've been in the book of John looking specifically at some of the uh, discourses or conversations that are unique to Jesus and um, and we've also been looking at some of those discourses that are unique, excuse me, but also some of those statements um, that are unique to John, uh, which are referred to as the I am statements. And so uh, up to this point, we've looked at two of them. We looked at, the, at Jesus saying that he's the bread of life. Uh, he's the, the offer of salvation. We've looked at Jesus as the light of the world and, and how that's symbolic or a metaphor for truth and how he has to open our eyes in order to see him. Um, and we've also noted that all of this is grace to us. And I always want to bring us back to those two initial conversations with a man named Nicodemus and a, the woman at the well, who represents sort of the bookends of humanity. There's, there's the religious person and the irreligious person in one sense. There's the person who is doing everything right by the law, and there's the person who um, is kind of living life and hiding a little bit. Uh, we might even say that she's an outcast. And John sets this up just to say that it is all of those and everybody in between that needs this gospel. Nobody's outside of this gospel. Nobody is good enough that they don't need the grace of God. At the same time, nobody is bad enough so as to work themselves outside of the grace of God. And, and, and that's what really prepares us to hear these statements from Jesus, that we need him. And so he comes to us in this way, and John, it's very unique with these statements I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. And so this morning, we, we actually get two. So two for the price of one this morning. We'll focus on the, the shepherd image, but it's I am the door and I am the shepherd. And I just want to note that as we begin uh, uh, this morning. But um, we'll be in chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Found in the book of John, chapter 10, verse, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up in by another way, that man is a thief or a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your truth to us. And so we pray now that um, as a seed goes into soil, that you would soften our hearts to receive that word, uh, that it may produce a, a fruit, that we may leave here changed people. And would you open our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. Only for your glory alone we pray. Amen. Well, over the past several weeks, as you maybe... Um, uh, maybe, maybe this isn't a surprise to you, but over the past couple of weeks, I've received a lot of texts and phone calls uh, from folks, just friends maybe from, from Fort Worth where we came from, or people here in the church, or just anywhere, saying something to the effect of, uh, do you feel settled? I hope you're getting settled in. How is the family? Are they feeling settled in? Are they getting settled in? Are y'all settled? And, and of course, it's, it's the right thing to say. Right? We just moved our family to Fort Worth. Everything is new here. Our house is new. Right? This place is new. And we use that to say, I hope that at some point this is becoming to, to feel like home. That this is becoming to feel like a place where that is more familiar to you. And of course it is, and it'll continue to do that. But this, 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 this language of being settled, right, as I began to think about it more and more, is, is, is that once that happens, you know, Lord willing, but it has in the past, Maryland is home and it'll, it'll be home, something else will come behind it that will cause us, cause me to be unsettled again, right? I'm thinking about this as I have young kids and as they enter into junior high and high school, there's a lot of things coming for them that both makes me feel unsettled <laughs> even just to think about that, but even that they're experiencing at their young ages as life just sort of becomes more serious and we grow up. For some of us, it's jobs. The job I have right now might be great. Maybe I don't have one right now. Maybe I'm looking for a new one. That's unsettling. We think about the rhythms in our, uh, our, our American calendars. We think about politics. We think about elections. That's unsettling. And then for some, it's settling, and then it gets unsettled again. <laughs> it goes around and around and around. And maybe some of you, you are experiencing that change this morning because that's really what it is, is it's change. And what it points to is that we are really, if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're really unsettled people. Which is another way to say that we're just, that there's something about here and about us 
that makes us nervous, that, 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 that drives fear into us, that spooks us even. And the Bible agrees with this because the Bible calls us sheep. And as we'll see in this passage, sheep are by nature unsettled creatures, fearful creatures. And what I want us to see this morning is that Scripture doesn't say to us that, oh, you shouldn't feel this way, or this isn't part of the normal human experience. Scripture actually affirms this. And God's response to this, though, is not to fix your circumstances, which is what we might want. It's actually to give you a shepherd in the midst of those circumstances. And that's what Jesus says to us here in John chapter 10, is what he's saying to this, this, this man who was blind before birth, but Jesus healed him, who is now in a very unsettled situation, believe it or not, by being cast out from the community from which he lived. So with that, our points to, to, as we, we look at how God sends us the shepherd uh, to, to settle our hearts, I want us to see three things that are not printed on your bulletin. The authority that Jesus has as the shepherd, and that'll carry uh, the weight of the statement, I am the door for now. I want us to see what Jesus promises to his people as the shepherd. And then I want us to look at why we can trust the shepherd. So the authority Jesus has as the shepherd, what Jesus promises to his people as the shepherd, and why we can trust this shepherd. So let's look at that first one, uh, the authority that Jesus has as the shepherd. To recap, as I did briefly, this, as you notice, this segment of John 10 is connected to John 9, what we looked at two weeks ago with this man who was blind. And as I already said, just to, to remind us, he was blind from birth, the text says. Jesus sees him, gives him sight, restores his sight, and this starts drawing a lot of attention as it would anywhere else. And, um, and so part of that, that attention that is drawn, that spotlight gets put on Jesus because he's the one who did this. And there's a group called the Pharisees who don't like this for a number of reasons. One, he did it on the Sabbath. Can't do that. But two, it, it, he's making claims about Jesus that they are not comfortable with. And so they go and they interview this man. They interview this man's family. They go back and interview this man again. And, and they don't believe him. And so they cast him out. And as I said two weeks ago, this had heavier weight to it because to be cast out um, was to say that, that not, it wasn't like you can't come to this church anymore. You can go somewhere else and find another church. In this culture, you were cast out of this community. And by these people, you were cast out of, of the church, but really which was the presence of God himself. There wasn't another place to go. And that carries a weight with it because in that community, it says, I don't belong anywhere. And not only that, spiritually speaking, right, my soul is in question here. What's going on? And it's in that context that Jesus enters in and he says to him, you're not only, you know, not cast out, but I'm going to protect you as your shepherd. And part of the problem that Jesus has here as we look at what he begins to say is that the Pharisees were posturing themselves as ones who actually had the authority, which they did not, to cast people out. And it's in this context that Jesus starts talking about sheep farming. And if you begin with me again at verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And he continues on here. And just, just in case, you know, I, I made an assumption this morning. I didn't know if there were a lot of sheep farmers in here this morning. If there, if there are, I apologize ahead of time, but you can come and correct my, um, my, my learnings. But the paraphrase from Bruce Milne, who does a, a good work on, on helping us understand what it means, uh, that what Jesus is talking about to bring them into the fold here. He says, the fold or the pen was probably a large communal enclosure where, where several flocks were herded to, for safety at night. The calling of the sheep in the morning would be crucial as each shepherd assembled his own flock from the larger herd in the fold. During the night, a guard would be hired, a watchman or gatekeeper. He would remain at the only door of the enclosure. Robbers could enter only by scaling a wall. The gatekeeper would admit only the shepherd by the door when they arrived that morning. So this is the context which Jesus is speaking into. They would know that. But actually, we're told in verse 6 that they had trouble understanding his figure of speech because of how he was connecting it to himself. So then he goes again in verse 7, and this is where we kind of enter into the, the, the I am statement here. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then in verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is, what is Jesus saying in this first point here? He is saying that as the door, all must come through him, which means he is saying that he is the only one who has authority to grant entrance and to grant leave into his community, into his pasture, to his salvation that he promises. It's a statement of authority. And it's not a statement that he's, that he's making just sort of because he wants to make statements of authority. He's doing it in the context of those who are misusing their authority, who don't have it, and are acting as though they are the door in one sense when only Jesus is. As Leon Morris puts it, as the door, he, Jesus, is the one, who, is the one way of entrance into salvation. It is he and no other who enables men to enter salvation. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that it is only by him, only by his name that anyone has entrance or access to the Father and thus to the salvation that he offers. I am the door. Um, my friend tells this story. Um, he's an avid sports fan, and this why this story carries a little more weight with it, but he tells a story about going to visit one of his friends, and his friend actually happened to be the athletic director to a, a pretty big Divisional I university. And so as he's going to go visit his friend, he gets to go into the building where his office is, and of course he doesn't have access to get into his office, so he walks into the building, and he walks up to the desk where there was a person there who would grant entrance or, you know, it, basically sort of an assistant that would direct people, and he tells them, his name, my name is, we'll use John Smith as an example. My name's John Smith. I'm here to see so-and-so, the athletic director. Uh, he's expecting me. And so after he said this, the person sitting at the desk handed him this envelope and said, he's in a meeting till five, but he said, here, take this. And so my friend looks at the, in the envelope, and inside the envelope was his buddies, the athletic director's personal ID card for the whole university. And in it said, sorry about the meeting, uh, come back by five, have fun. 
And it wasn't until then he realized what he actually had. He had access to go anywhere he wanted to in the entire university. And so being a sports fan, and and just for the sake of this, like wherever you are with sports, and I'm sorry if if that doesn't meet you this morning, just think about what would be the place you'd want to go and enter and have access to if that was your thing. And for him, it was, he went into the basketball arena, right? Shooting some baskets on like, Think about if you're a Duke fan, this would be like going into Cameron Indoor. Maybe that didn't meet y'all where you were, I don't know. But just, he went into the football stadium, ran around on the football field. He went anywhere. He went everywhere he could go. There were sometimes he talks about, there were sometimes he would go into places because he had the ID card, and people would look at him and be like, well, who are you? Where, why are you here? Which I'm actually glad to hear that they did that. And of course, he would just show them, it's like, Show them, he just showed them the ID, and they saw the name. Right? They saw who this was. Oh, okay, go ahead. Come on. You can come on in. Right? He had access because of the name of another. It was someone else's name who granted them entrance. This is what Jesus is saying when he says that I am the door here. No one is granted entrance but by me. Jesus is the means by which we enter his pasture of rest, which is salvation here. He alone has the authority to grant that entrance. And what life through him brings um, is not death or destruction, right? It is abundant life, he says. It is a flourishing life. And this is good news for this man and his family who have what been cast out and who are in, in many ways experiencing the unsettling of life, wondering where they truly belong right now, if they are in or if they are out. And, and I would suggest to us this morning that this is, this is good news for us too. It is good news for us because we don't have to wonder if we are in or out for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is, he is the authority here. All who enter by me will be saved, he says. All who believe in me by faith are brought in to the fold. This is who is given entrance, all because of someone else. Now, by contrast, to round out this first point, to Jesus, by contrast to Jesus, um, are these folks called robbers and thieves. And who, who are they, just quickly? Robbers and thieves are those who use a different way in a different door, and thus assume authority that they don't have. In this text, the robbers and thieves are the Pharisees. And why? Because they are not only acting as the ones who have the authority to grant entrance, but they are trying to get in by a completely different way than Jesus. And in doing so, they're actually pointing others to a false door and while I wish we had more time to sort of explore what are those false doors that we actually go to as well, what Jesus is saying is that there aren't any other doors to go to. I'm not a door, right? The article is important. I'm the door. I'm, I'm the only one. He is emphatic about that. I'm the only way in or out. He's the only way we find rest and security as his own. He's the only one with authority to give us that rest and to settle our anxious hearts this morning. This is the first point. This is the authority that Jesus has. Next, I want us to see the promise that he makes to his people. And what is that promise that he makes to his people? He promises his presence with us as the good shepherd. What do sheep need more than anything else in this world? They need the presence of a shepherd. 
I said a few weeks ago when we started this series that many of the I am statements are, are rooted in the Old Testament, and, and this is one for sure. And I'm sure you're already kind of conjuring up Old Testament texts in your mind, Psalm 23, right? Um, the good shepherd, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isaiah is full of shepherd language, uh, if you've read Isaiah. But maybe one that we're not too familiar with this morning is Ezekiel 34, where the prophet Ezekiel is sent by God with a prophecy actually against, the text says, against the shepherds of Israel, which would be against the leaders of Israel. And uh, in in this text, verse 2, God says this through uh, Ezekiel, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. But by verse 22, there's a promise, uh, which is, is, which is um, typical with uh, any of these prophecies. Verse 22, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Now Ezekiel came some close to 500 years after the life of David. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is not just pulling this term uh, out of nowhere. And I want us to uh, recognize that this morning. The shepherd was one uh, that God promised to send, to be over the entire flock, one to come from David. And Jesus is simply saying that I am he. I am that good shepherd. And this is why the Jews, if we go on further down in our text this morning to verse 31, pick up stones again to kill him. Because they know what he is saying. They know who he is connecting him, these words to, who he's connecting himself to. It's blasphemy for them. But Jesus reminds us again that this is what? This is one story. This isn't two stories, Old Testament, New Testament. This is one story from Genesis to Revelation and that he is the promise fulfillment of all of God's promises. And so we carry that background with us into this text and we do that to understand the weight of Jesus' words a little more and as well their intent of what he's trying to say, that it is God's purpose and his intention, right, to gather us into one flock where he will have one shepherd over us, to take those who are scattered, if you will, and gather them together. And in doing so, Jesus is promising in that moment, uh, he is promising his presence among us and with us, which is exactly what sheep need. As the shepherd, Jesus not only says that he has the authority to grant entrance into this pasture, into this salvation that he offers, but he is the one who will protect and watch over his sheep. And that is something that this man who was blind but is now cast out um, of his community needs to hear as well. I think it's one thing that we would all agree, it's one thing uh, to tell somebody that you are not cast out and to have that authority to do so. It's another thing to say that I will also protect you as the great shepherd of the sheep. You will come into my fold. I will watch over you. And how how do shepherds protect their sheep? By being the one, by being wherever they go. It is their presence. Um, sheep, just a few facts about sheep. Uh, you, you came to an agricultural talk this morning, but such is the case with this text. Um, as we said earlier, sheep are, by nature, they're fearful animals. 
And it's inter- interesting to listen to shepherds talk about sheep who have spent a lot of time with these animals and to uh, note their, uh, their instincts. But um, from, from something that I have read on shepherds, uh, they are very easily spooked. They don't feel secure. And, and actually, <clears throat> that is something that doesn't go away unless the shepherd is present. In fact, shepherds will tell you that sheep won't actually eat or graze or lay down if they are, don't feel that they are safe, if they don't feel that they are secure. And the only way that they do that is if they are with the shepherd. Sheep will get spooked, and in and, 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 and this If there's nobody there to protect them or calm them down, they will take off running. And shepherds have talked about sheep just running off cliffs. So translate that however you want to. They will just go right off a cliff, especially if there isn't a shepherd present to calm them down. At the same time, sheep are extremely vulnerable. Um, They are literally a big ball of cotton. There is is no protective skin against them uh, for any type of predator to you know, to have their way with. Um, they, they don't have any defense mechanisms, really, to ward off predators when you think about it that way. And, and, and in fact, they sometimes can't even ward off themselves. There's a lot of examples of this, but I hope you have seen this, and if you haven't, I, your homework after this service is to go Google, sheep gets stuck and jumps back in ditch. And for those that have seen this, this is remarkable. And so the video starts out, and there's this, this farmhand who, there's this ditch, but there's this farmhand who has got his hand, you don't even know what he's got, into this ditch. And as he starts to pull, you realize he's got the back legs of something, and as he keeps pulling, it is a sheep who has buried itself into this ditch. And you're watching this, and you're thinking, man, what a, that's, that's really great. This guy just rescued the sheep. And so he so lets the sheep go. What does the sheep do right after that? It takes one jump and it goes right back into the ditch. You can't even see it. It buries itself. And and I'll I'll say this just to say to remind us that like this is what the Bible calls us. Calls us sheep. We can't get out of our own ways sometimes. We We can't ward off ourselves. It's the presence of the shepherd that saves us. It's the presence of the shepherd that calms that sheep, that leads that sheep into places of rest and flourishing. And this is what Jesus promises us in this text. He promises to be with this person. He promises to be with you. We resemble sheep in a lot of ways. Uh, Physically, as we've even said, we have no defense weapons against what is our ultimate enemy, which is death. Spiritually speaking, we don't have defense, we don't have weapons apart from Jesus, right? Naturally, we don't have weapons to deal with that. We have to be given those things, right? So there's some similarities there, right? We are vulnerable prey due to our sinful nature. And in many instances, like sheep, we are our own worst enemies. And as much as we try to hide this and to cover it up, if we were being honest, we would agree that much of what we do is fear-driven as creatures. We don't naturally like change, right? I'm sure there's a lot of unsettlement in the, just from the bulletin this morning. Like, why are we doing the confession of sin there? And I understand that. 
We don't like change, though you know, we accept it, but it tells us we're not in control. And, and that might be the best news for us this morning, to be reminded of that. We're not in control. But all of this, right, it breeds internal anxiety that we spend much of our day trying to cope. But it's actually our anxiety, if we look at it, it's actually our insecurity, it's our fear that is saying that what we really need is a shepherd. You need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. Someone to come alongside of me, right, and settle my unsettled heart. And that's what Jesus does. That's what he's saying about himself. It's not all that he's saying about himself. That's what he is saying about himself in this statement. This is what he promises. In the same way a good shepherd creates an environment for that flourishing for a sheep, it is his presence it is his being there that does that. It's not that, Jesus, that we come to Jesus, that we get saved by him, uh, if you will, and then life is all good. And we just kind of go on with our life. No, life is only good because Jesus is with us. And we are with him. He is the abundant life. And as our shepherd, he promises to be with us always. And friends, there is no better news than that this morning. Because I guarantee you that there is nothing telling you this this morning. Nothing is telling you, I will be with you always. Your best relationships, my best relationship, will die. Either I before her or her before me. Your best relationships cannot promise this. Jesus does. Our technology, as much as I love it, can't fix this problem, friends. It can't fix our unsettledness. And though you look to it, though you look to the things of this world to fix that, there's nothing telling you that this morning, but Jesus is. I am the good shepherd. I give you my presence always. This is what he does. This is what he promises. But finally, why can we trust this shepherd? And let's get to this last point. Why can we trust this shepherd it's one thing to say he's good, to see that. Why, do we, why can we trust him? Why can we trust our lives with him? And the answer to that is simple. We can trust the shepherd because of the extent that we see that he is willing to go to protect the sheep. And you see it there in the text. What is that? He's willing to lay his life down. It isn't until verse 11 that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And it sort of flows out of everything we've read so far. He's dealing with this issue of authority where the Pharisees are coming in and saying things that they don't have the authority to say, scaring the sheep as it were. He's brought in this man who was cast out and he's talking about the gate. He's talking about the door. He has the authority to do that. And out of that just sort of flows the, the, the main picture of this entire metaphor, which is I am the good shepherd. And, it, and he just goes on from here as we read. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then he begins to contrast the good shepherd to that of a hired hand. And this is where this text is kind of confusing, right? Before this, we're talking about thieves and robbers, and we've got to sort of remove ourselves from that metaphor and come into this one. And, and so if you've read this before, it's not as easy uh, to understand just in the straight, plain reading of it because Jesus bounces around a little bit. But he moves into the contrast here to a hired hand. And as a hired hand goes, as we say, he, it has no skin. He, has, he or she has no skin in the game. They're just there because either they're earning a paycheck or they're doing some favor or some, some favors, you know, whatever it is. And as he goes in to talk about this, he says that uh, 
these, these hired hands, like, they don't lay their lives down for the flock. They're in it for something else. It's only the true shepherd, the owner of that flock, who will what? Give his life should there be something that comes up and ask for it. And, the, and in this case, it would be a wolf. But this is what's also interesting, too. Um, there, there's a, there's a, a document called the Mishnah, which was another, like, basically a compilation of, of Jewish laws. <laughs> and just to show the human nature of this, because, look, I, I guess I'll lay life, my life down for sheep if I have them, maybe they're my livelihood, but I, I don't know about you. Like, I'm willing to start over. And so were they. And so they wrote in this law, right? And you got, you got to understand, this is, the, this is sort of the Pharisees at this point, that, that if a hired hand showed up, right, if you were getting somebody to watch that pen overnight and they did not defend off one wolf, then they could be subject to penalties. But they wrote, you know, a, 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 an addition to that. If two wolves show up, then that is a situation that that hired hand obviously cannot deal with and is given permission to leave. And, it, and it's just a subtle way to say, we're not going to do this. And it's in, the, it's in the midst of that where Jesus says, I will. I will. I will lay my life down for the sheep. By contrast, Jesus is not a hired hand. By contrast, Jesus offers no condition here for laying his life down. He offers no provision for when he will or won't lay his life down. In other words, no amount of shame or humiliation or loss or suffering will keep him from the love that he has for his sheep. And friends, the cross, which is not in view yet to this man and his family, and certainly isn't in view yet to the disciples, is the proof of that this morning. Jesus doesn't actually talk about laying his life down, and it isn't actually fair to say that he's willing to lay his life down, although that's true. He does. He does. And the reason why we can trust him this morning is he does it by his own accord, which means to you this morning that his love is actually real. It is unconditional. Go back there to verse 17. It's one, of, it's, it's one of the most profound parts of this text. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What Jesus is saying this morning is he didn't have to lay his life down. He didn't do it only because of what it would get him in the end, so to speak. There was no provision written in there for him, if you will. He did it because he loves you. He does it because he loves you. That in the end, the one who has the authority to grant entrance, the one who owns the flock, as the text says, in the end, he is the one that seals that entrance by his own precious blood. So that all that has been promised to you this morning, which is really all that you, all your heart is wanting to go back to being settled, can be given to you. It's the promise of home. It's the promise of being home. 
being with the shepherd. And there's no other good shepherd to turn to but him. And his commitment to you to lay his life down should say to our unsettled hearts, I can give myself to his protection and his care. This is the authority that Jesus has as the shepherd. It's the promise that he gives us as the shepherd. That is the promise of his presence. And it's why he can be trusted. is because he lays his life down. Now, before we end here, I think it's important as we talk about this to briefly just say, what is the expectation for following the shepherd? All this is good. And I think, it, I think it would be unfair for me to not sort of acknowledge this. And the way that I want to do this is just briefly, look, I want us to look back at this man because it really is the thread that goes through this whole thing. This man has something wonderful happen to him, doesn't he? He was blind and he was given sight. And, and, and Jesus is sort of likening that as, as a physical representation of salvation, right? This is, the good, this is a good thing. He can now see Jesus. He then has faith in him. But what happens to this man? Does abundant life happen to this man in the ways that we might want it to? No, this man suffers. He is cast out. I do not miss that this morning. <clears throat> He was excommunicated from his people. This is what happened to him. And we can go to multiple other accounts in Scripture and find the same thing for those that would what? Come after this shepherd. And I think it's important and fair for us this morning to acknowledge and set the expectation for what Jesus says he is calling us to. Because to follow him, right, to be given, right, not just his, his salvation and this rest, right, we need to be honest about what that means here and now. Because here now, like this man, there is suffering and brokenness in this, in this world. And for those in this room who are following Jesus, who have accepted him, he is, he, that's what's here for you now, and that's what's coming. Nobody in this room gets away from that. That's the expectation. Jesus is not promising you health because he is your, now your shepherd in this, in this life. He's not promising you wealth because he is your shepherd in this life. He's not promising you success in the ways that this world looks at it. He's not promising you peace. And friends, we're not even promised comfort. As a matter of fact, we are told over and over again that as we deny ourselves, we are to take up our crosses. What he is promising is his presence. And the same is true for you. Part of having Jesus as your shepherd is knowing this doesn't fix your life in all the ways that you want it to right now. But it does mean that you get him. Do you still want this shepherd? I want him for the salvation he gives me, but what happens tomorrow when the brokenness of this world breaks in? Do you still want him? Is his presence what you are after? Because this is what's here and what's now for this man, and this is what's here and what's coming for you as well. Now, let me, let me leave us with some good news. <laughs> that's not all that's here and that's all that's now or, or all that's coming for this man. 
and for you either. At the same time, what's here, as we said, is Jesus' presence, but what's coming because of his death and his resurrection, right, is his return and his promise to lead us all out, as it were, into that field, into that pasture of rest where life abundantly is given to us. That, that is what is coming for you. That is what is coming for this man. I love the glimpse that we get of this in the hymn, We Will Feast, by Sandra McCracken. She writes, We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say together. We will feast and weep no more. There, there is an expectation of what is here and coming for us that is suffering in this world. But at the same time, there is an expectation of what is here and coming for us because of the promises that Jesus makes you. That is what is true. Those are our expectations this morning. Should we follow the shepherd? And my prayer for us is that this would, like knowing his presence and knowing what is true about him and knowing what is coming and knowing what it will be like to sing those words in that house, right, where we will weep no more. May that settle our unsettled hearts, at least for this day. At least for this day. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we think about the joy that is being in your presence and the salvation that you offer us, the protection that you give us ultimately over the things in this world that we have no control over. May we be honest and know what that means here and now and how that is not a sign of you turning your back on us. That is not an indication of how you feel about us. That is, that is what you tell us to expect. And May we begin to be people that recognize that what the gift is is having your presence with us now because that's where we are going in the end, to be with you where God comes down and, bees with, and is with his people forever, to be with them forever. That is the gift. That, that, that is abundant life. Would you give us the eyes to see that, the ears to hear that, to want that and desire that, no matter what shows its face tomorrow morning? Would you do this for your glory alone, we pray. Amen.